In the last session, we looked at the life of Moses and the role of the counsel of God in his life. And as we move on now in this series, I'd like to take a moment to consider his successor, Joshua. Now, Joshua was a very different leader and had a role that differed quite immensely from Moses. Moses led his people as an administrator. He sought God for their daily needs and provisions. He, he stood before political leaders making his case for freedom. He sought God on behalf of the laws that would govern the nation of Israel. He interpreted and judged people according to those laws and regulations given to him by God. He also established their faith as a national faith with all its traditions, beliefs, and practices. And so Moses was an administrator, a politician, a judge, a lawyer, and religious leaders. And in each of these roles, he regularly sought the wisdom and counsel of God. He heard God and walked in obedience, and the secret to his ministry success was in the fact that he sought the counsel of God and walked in obedience. Now, when Moses died, Joshua would take his place as the leader of the nation. He wasn't the same kind of leader as Moses. Joshua was a military commander, and his role would be to conquer the land of Canaan and hand it over to the nation of Israel. Now remember here that this land of Canaan was inhabited by many different nations, and the task of conquering those nations would, of course, not be an easy one. Now as Joshua begins his ministry, he has two things in his favor. Listen to what Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 tell us. Joshua 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant or assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I have promised to Moses. Notice first, the word of God here to Joshua. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now, what is God saying in these words? God is telling Joshua to arise and go over the Jordan with his people. And we can't take those words lightly. When Moses was 40 years old, he went to his people as well. But it was not what God told him to do. Moses wanted his own accord. He, he wanted to do something for his people in his own way, but God sent him away. And so the words spoken to Joshua, arise and go over this Jordan, were a direct call from God. 
These were Joshua's marching orders. God was calling him to a role, and he was not going in his own wisdom, but in the leading and under the authority of the Lord God of Israel. Joshua was called by God. And Joshua was to listen to the calling of God upon his life and walk in obedience. Now notice something else here in these verses. What God says to Joshua here in particular in verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I have promised to Moses. Joshua was not only going according to the call of God on his life and going in the authority of God's call in his life, but he had a promise from God as he went. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. God makes it clear to Joshua that he was to go over the Jordan, but he also makes it clear what he is to do. He is to take the land that the Lord has given to his people. And so Joshua moves according to the calling of God on his life and with the assurance that God has promised him victory. Now, having the assurance that Joshua, that he was walking in the counsel of God and according to his authority and in his promise, notice what takes place as Joshua then prepares to cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan. We come to Joshua chapter 3 and verses 7 to 9, and this is what we read as the people of Israel prepare to cross over the Jordan River. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still at the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. There at the river... The great military commander Joshua, at the command and according to the counsel of God, gathers the priests with the Ark of the Covenant to stand by the brink of the, by the shores of the Jordan River. And when the army and the priests and the people were all in one place, Joshua speaks to the people and listen to what he says. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Standing in front of his people, he says, Come and hear and listen to the words of the Lord your God. If there is one thing that Joshua wanted to be certain about, it was that God's people set their hearts to listen to their God. And he understood 
understood that victory for Moses came through obedience to the counsel of God's word. And as he embarks here on this military campaign, he stands there at the very border of the nation that God is promising to give him. And he calls upon his people to be sure to listen to the counsel, to the word of the Lord, because that was the foundation upon which this victory would be built. As Joshua stood at the banks of the Jordan River, the first issue he had to address related to how to get everyone across wasn't an easy task. But it was the counsel of God that would resolve this issue, this issue as, as God speaks to Joshua and directs him in what to do. And so we find in Joshua chapter 3, verse 12, Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the river shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. And so God shows Joshua what to do, and Joshua, in obedience to God, moves forward, and as those priests stood in the river, the waters dried up, and the nation crossed over to the other side. And news of how God had stopped the flow of water for the Israelites spread. And we read in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 1 the following, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of God. That act of obedience, Joshua following the counsel of God, worked miracles. And it showed the Amorites and the Canaanites that the God of Israel was a powerful God. And they began to fear the people of God. Now, while the fear of the Lord was upon the nations, it was only a matter of time before they would be forced to take up arms against Israel, and God was preparing his people for this. But there were issues that needed to be addressed. And in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 5, we read this. So all the people who came out of Egypt, that is, had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. And so this was an issue. There was an army now of uncircumcised Israelites. And if these men were going to fight for the Lord, they needed to be right with him. And so we read in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 2 that the Lord speaks to Joshua at that time. And he says this, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Israel, so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeoth, Haraloth. Now notice once again, 
that it is the Lord who speaks to Joshua about circumcising his men. That had not taken place for over 40 years. And it's not something that Joshua would have naturally thought about as a military leader. It was, however, something that was very important to God. And so the words, so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel are important. They show us that that God had Joshua's ear and that Joshua was willing to put his men through this at the command of God to be obedient to God and in line with his counsel. Now we can understand that as Joshua faced the armies that of the nations before him, that this would not necessarily have been the first priority that entered his mind, but it was the counsel of God, however, and Joshua listens. And we can only wonder what would have happened if Joshua had not listened to the counsel of God in this matter, and if Joshua had pushed forward with this endeavor without taking the time to consider and listen to the Lord, would the results have been the same? Would those battles have been won? It seems to me that one of the first requirements for the people of God here was to get themselves right with God and walk in obedience to his counsel, and victory would flow out of that obedience. As we move now into Joshua chapter 6, we read the story of the conquest of Jericho. And what's important for us in this story is what we read in, in verse 2 of Joshua chapter 6. These are the, the words of the Lord. This is the counsel of the Lord to Joshua. And this is what he says. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. These are the words of God to Joshua. I have given Jericho into your hands. And once again, we see that God is calling Joshua and that Joshua is responding here to the call of God upon his his life. And Joshua would go and take this city at the command of God, according to the counsel of God. Now, notice, however, that while it may be that God's will for us is to do something, that doesn't mean that we can do it the way we want to do it. Not only does God give to Joshua his marching orders, but God also shows Joshua how he is to overcome that enemy and the procedure that he is to follow in order to overcome that enemy. And so God speaks to Joshua in Joshua chapter 6 and tells him to march around the city once a day for six days. Seven priests were to take the Ark of the Covenant around that city as they marched. And on the seventh day, the priests were to blow their trumpets. And when the soldiers heard the trumpet blast, they would shout for joy. This was the will of the Lord for Joshua. Now, as a military leader, this made no sense whatsoever. How many people could have died by the arrows shot from the enemy from the walls of the city as they walked around it? And how would the blast of a trumpet bring victory 
over the enemy. These were questions that Joshua had and would have as a military commander. But it is important to note here that Joshua gives his order to the men of his nation to follow the counsel of God, even though it did not seem to make military sense to him. And things would have been very different had Joshua planned the battle. But by listening to the counsel of the Lord instead of his own military wisdom, Joshua experienced tremendous victory. And I would dare to say he experienced miraculous victory by listening to the counsel of God, a victory he would not have experienced in any other way. Now, like you and I, there is and was in the life of Joshua the temptation often to take matters into his own hands. And after this incredible victory in Jericho, notice what Joshua does. In Joshua chapter 7 and verse 2, we read this. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there for their few. In Joshua chapter 7, after this incredibly miraculous victory of God over Jericho, Joshua sent out men to spy out the city of Ai. Now, the question we ask ourselves is this. Why would Joshua send men to spy out the land? The idea here is that they would take a look at the land and report back to him. These spies would give him a sense of the military might of this city, and they would evaluate what needed to, they needed to do to conquer it. Now, understand here that their counsel to Joshua would be human counsel and not necessarily the Lord's counsel. And we have no record here of Joshua praying about the city of Ai or seeking the Lord's will in this matter. These spies came back and suggested to Joshua what he needed to do, that he only needed to send two or three thousand men. And Joshua, listening to the human counsel of these spies, sent three thousand men into Ai, and they were defeated and turned back humbled before the city. And it was only as they went to God after the fact that it was revealed that a man by the name of Achan had sinned by taking property from Jericho when God had told him not to. And the blessing of God had been removed from them as a nation, and Joshua was humbled that day, and he understood that his failure to seek the Lord's counsel was the cause of his defeat. 
And only after Achan was put to death did God speak again to Joshua in this matter. And so in Joshua chapter 8 and verse 1, And the Lord said to Joshua, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. This time, Joshua has the Lord's approval. This time, he would go in the authority of the Lord. He was not trusting the advice of his military leaders this time, but the counsel of God. God did, however, tell Joshua how he was to attack that city. And God tells him to lay an ambush in the city from behind by with a group of soldiers behind the city. And then he was to have another group approach the city from the front. And when the army of Ai engaged them, they were to withdraw. And when the army of Ai pursued them, leaving the, the, those, the, the city undefended, those who were behind the city were then to attack in this way the army of Ai would be caught in the middle and defeated. This was God's plan. This was not Joshua's plan. This was God's counsel. It's not without coincidence that after this victory at Ai, that Joshua calls his people together and they built an altar to the Lord. And notice what Joshua did that day in Joshua chapter 8 and verse 30 and 31. At that time, at the time of the defeat of Ai, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, a servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Joshua understood what had happened that day. Joshua understood that he had not sought the counsel of God in this matter of Ai, and he was humiliated. And Joshua took and burnt offerings and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings there before the Lord at that time. And, and they had not listened to the Lord or trusted in him, but trusted instead in their spies. And they needed forgiveness and they needed cleansing. And so they come to the Lord and they seek his forgiveness. But notice something else that took place that day. In Joshua chapter <coughs> in Joshua chapter eight and verse thirty two, on that occasion, and there in the presence of the people of Israel, verse thirty two, he, Joshua, wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses which he had written. Joshua, on that occasion, wrote on stone tablets a copy of the law of Moses. These tablets contained the counsel of God, and as a leader, he had failed to listen to the counsel of God and chose rather to listen to the spies. And here he confesses his sin, but also here he reminds himself of the absolute necessity of the counsel of God by writing out these tablets of stone, helping him 
to remind him and reminding him that he needed to keep his eyes focused on God's counsel and not trust his own. Now let me examine one more illustration of the counsel of God in the life of Joshua. Learning to listen to God's counsel before making a decision was something Joshua, like all of us, struggled to do at times. Now the people of the land, the Canaanites, the Amorites, they were fearful of Joshua's God. And they knew as long as Joshua was walking in obedience to him and his counsel, they were no match for his army. And one of those nations, the Gibeonites, decided that they would never be able to conquer Joshua's God in their military strength. And so they determined, therefore, to deceive Joshua and his army. And dressing in old clothes, they took stale bread with them and they approached Joshua in their old beaten up sandals. And they, they told him that they had come from a faraway nation. The idea was that they wanted him to believe that they had come from outside of the Canaan and outside of the Amorites territory and that they were neighbors, but not part of the land that God wanted him to conquer. And as faraway people, they had heard that God was make, had made a covenant with his people Israel and that God was with them and that they were a powerful force under their God. And, and so they determined that they wanted to be at peace with Joshua as a, as a foreign nation. And so they came to make that covenant of peace with him. And Joshua and his military commanders and officials saw the old clothes and the stale bread and the beat-up sandals, and they believed the Gibeonites. But notice the words of Joshua chapter 9 and verse 14. So the men took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. They did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Notice particularly the words, so the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. Instead of seeking the counsel of God, these men looked at the evidence before them. Now, Jesus describes Satan as the father of lies in John chapter 8 and verse 44. And in the battle before us, there's one thing that is certain, and that is that Satan will seek to infiltrate into our midst, and he will do his best to deceive us, and he will present us with many convincing arguments, and many will be deceived by those arguments to their own detriment. And unless we seek the heart and the counsel of God, we too will be deceived by the logic and careful reasoning of these false prophets, false teachers, 
and enemies infiltrated into our midst. And Joshua, on this particular occasion, chose rather to look at the evidence that was around him rather than seeking the counsel of God. And that resulted in a covenant, an ungodly covenant that would plague his nation. And so God wanted to lead Joshua into victory. But that victory, however, required listening to his counsel. And the path to that victory was not always logical from a human point of view. In fact, Joshua, when, when Joshua resorted to human logic, he often got himself into trouble. He, when he trusted the advice of his spies, he lost the battle in Ai. When, when he trusted the evidence presented by the Gibeonites, he found himself in a covenant with a people he should have defeated. And like many of us, Joshua was often tempted to listen to his own counsel. And, and the clash between human wisdom and divine guidance is, is very real in the life of Joshua. And, and I dare to say that we find ourselves very often in Joshua's shoes. We trust our logic. We trust what we see before us. We rely on what other people are telling us. But if we want to be followers of God, we must seek his counsel. And, and we must stop seeking to trust in our own wisdom. In all our ways, we are to acknowledge him. The question we must ask ourselves is this. Have we missed out on God's great purpose because we have settled for human reason and insight? Are we walking well below God's intention for our lives because we have not learned to question our human logic and insight? Have we entered into ungodly, forbidden covenants because we have failed to seek the counsel of the Lord and walk in it? That, of course is the challenge that this passage, uh, that the Joshua's life brings to us. The challenge of trusting our own selves, our own reasoning, above the counsel of God. And as Joshua trusted his own reasoning, as he trusted his spies, as he trusted the evidence that was presented to him, instead of seeking the counsel of God, he found himself humiliated, defeated, and in covenant relationships with those who would only but hinder his ministry. May God give to us the grace to learn from the life of Joshua and seek the counsel of God and his purpose.